Zach, it's time for some chicken. Come on. And uh, you and I have a pretty hot take about what's the best chicken restaurant. We do. Uh, before that happens, I do. I think we just need to come out and clarify. Yeah. The disclaimer. Chick-fil-A is a different category. We are not right? going to blaspheme on this no, podcast. Not, we, uh, we love the Lord and his chicken. <laughs> and his chicken. And it's our pleasure to be served and also eat it. Yes. So Chick-fil-A, just omit this from the list. Yes. But the list is fast food chicken restaurants. So just chicken strips. Right. Just some good old script. So, like you said, we have a hot take. Do we tell them our hot take before, or do we rank just them? I think it's just time to come out and say it. All right, say it, Cooper. Chicken Express mm-hmm. is the greatest chicken fast food restaurant, asterisk, apart from Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Without question. I mean, those corn nuggets... Unbelievable. Get me going. When I mean, if you could just shoot corn nuggets straight into my yeah. veins, yeah. I would love that. I uh, We've tried. Yeah, we failed. Anyway, there's some other chicken restaurants in the area right, that right. So are notable wanna, mentions. We want to rank all of them. Yes. This is not a paid sponsorship. No, not oh, at all. Oh, man. If they, even if it was one free <laughs> I box, know. Just a meal. Just good. a meal. That's all I need. So let's start with Cane's. Cane's is good. It's very good. But I think what makes makes Cane's good is the sauce. Right. And I'm not a sauce guy. No, you're not. Right. I, I like I, I enjoy sauce. But yeah. with Cane's, I feel like if I just put it in my mouth, it's just going to slide down my throat because it's so greasy. Just, it's just like. <laughs> yeah, down your gullet. <laughs> down just, my gullet. You're, you're one-throating a chicken tender. I'm one-throating a chicken tender. That's right. And I don't want to do that. I want to enjoy my chicken. That's right. That's and right. so that's my disclaimer for Cane's. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up, because I'm not a sauce guy, so I'm I'm – I think sides are important. Their chicken is usually, mm. in my opinion, I feel like it's drier. Yeah. You said greasy. I think there's grease, but the chicken part is yeah. actually Once you get past drier. the outer layer of grease. Right. Once a slip and slide comes off yeah. and the chicken lays bare. <laughs> it's just dry chicken. It's just a little drier. Yeah. And, I, and the toast is okay. It's good. Yeah. And no one likes coleslaw. We'll uh-huh. just say that. It's, you always sub the slaw for an extra toast. For an extra if piece of bread. you didn't know bread. you could do that, you're you welcome can. for changing your life. <laughs> but also, sweet tea. Very good. Very good. But also, Chicken Express, I would still say, has better sweet better. tea. Better, yes. Okay, number two, Zaxby's. Zaxby's, good name. Zaxby's, great name, obviously. Terrible all-around food. Never had it. Horrible. So yeah. I'm going to rank it bad. It's really bad. I've never had it. It's bad. People like it, but it's it's bad. Okay. Okay, next one. <laughs> what, what else do we have? Uh, the, uh, I mean, the rival chicken sandwich that tried to make a oh, claim yes. on Chick-fil-A's throne. Yep. Yep. But ch- I mean, mm. Chick-fil-A simply flicked it like a little bug. <laughs> like a little booger. And it's Popeye's. And they, uh, here's what they have. The G- Love that chicken for Popeye's. Louisiana Popeye's. <laughs> what's, the, what's the last saying they say? That's it. Oh, no, finger licking good's KFC. Oh, that's we'll KFC. keep going. We'll get to that one. <laughs> Holy barrel. Anyway, Popeyes. We uh their chicken sandwich is okay. It has like some yeah. sauce on it that's like a little overbearing for me. Right. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna play the card of Chick-fil-A every time. Yeah, Chick-fil-A is way like if you're like, oh look, there's one parking lot that has a Popeyes on that side and a Chick-fil-A on that side, and it's not Sunday. I'm going to Chick-fil-A. Right. And Chick-fil-A will have a longer drive-thru line, and, and it, they'll <laughs> still get you through faster. Yes, yes. And there's been so many times. There's that Chick-fil-A over by uh, DBU, yep. and it's right next to a, a panda. Right. And we're like, let's do panda. And then we're just and like just sitting in line. The, you're just watching the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. room, 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 laugh you. You're just sitting in line at panda just waiting for your orange yeah. chicken. Which is also Which honestly is really good. good, but I wouldn't classify it. No, it's not on this list. What's another one? Uh, we brought up KFC. We did bring up KFC. Like Might I, as well like just I talk about the bottom if, of the barrel. If you, were, you know in those fries, you have yeah. fries. This yeah. is not, a, not talking about KFC's fries. But you know when there's fries and sometimes you have like the charred black Fry, they got stuck in the bottom, and mm. it's like you have it. It's you know been there for like a week or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel like 
KFC make what's it what it makes me think of. Yeah. And it's like they have popcorn <sighs> chicken. That's okay. But it's like I don't want to have a chicken that's been placed next to a Taco Here's Bell. a good gauge on if how good Taco the chicken Bell, place is. I want Taco Bell. I don't want to have to be partnered with. <laughs> if I want a five-layer crunchy burrito, right. I don't want to go to KFC. <laughs> and they oftentimes share a building. <laughs> I know, which is so weird. Or with like a Long John Silver's yeah. or something uh, gross. But here's another good, ga- <laughs> another good gauge. When was the last time you went to KFC? Uh, probably when I was under the age of eight on a road trip. Exactly. Yeah. And it was the only place in a, t- in right. a tiny like blinker right. town. It was, it was across from a Dairy Queen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why we didn't go to Dairy Queen. Yeah. Okay. Any, do we have any other chicken places before we just describe the lush of Chicken Express? Um, I think that I, my taste buds are watering so much that I can't go back. I can't take a step back once okay. we've initiated towards Chicken Express. Okay. So why? Why do we love Chicken Express so much? <sighs> I mean, it's from the, the service of the employees. <laughs> yeah. Well, just... let's start with the employees. Uh, it's you, a mixed bag. You walk in knowing what you're going to get. Yeah, they don't. It's definitely not their pleasure. <laughs> yes, it is their obligation. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they probably just I like I would not be shocked. You own a chicken express. Yeah. You you lock eyes with a worker and they don't approach the, the cash register. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. 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 No, but the food's good. The food shines through, Zach. It does. It does. And so my order is, uh, yeah. I believe it's the number one. Mm-hmm. It's four chicken strips. Yep. Uh, if you're going to a chicken restaurant and you get bones in your chicken, yeah. who are you? What are you thinking? Who are you? Yeah. I, well, we had the same thing. Right. So four strips, a, a side of corn nuggets. I mean. Preach, brother. Roll, not biscuit. Of course. And here's the deal. Biscuits are usually better, but the rolls yeah. at, at uh, Chicken Unmatched. Express cannot be topped. Their biscuits are good, but the yeah. rolls are just unbelievable. Yeah. And then mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, I actually don't get mashed potatoes. Okay, what do you get? I get fries. Really? I get corn nuggets and fries, and I sub it out so I don't get a drink. So wow. So I, I'll either get double corn nugget or mashed potatoes. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, the corn nuggets are just unbelievable. So Have you ever tried to reheat them? It's like eating chalk. <laughs> so you have to that's the only thing with you got about a 15 minute window the service is not good right. and you have to eat it that day right. and the last thing i will say on chicken express is I, i'm not gonna like judge anyone that working there but i normally end up with five or six strips which is the oh, biggest gracious. blessing gracious yes that, i think i was literally thinking i got nuggets from chick-fil-a and i knew there was gonna be eight because i ordered eight but i'm like if they throw in a ninth yeah people would lose it yeah and it's like it's no longer become a blessing to get a bonus tender at yeah, Chicken Express like, because it's an ex- because it's an expectation. Because right. I might order four, but I'll get about eight or nine, right, right, which I'm just, very thankful. You know for. that, and that's that just goes to the lack of care from the employees. Exactly. that blesses the customers <laughs> yes. without them even caring. So about another it. hot take is that second mile service doesn't actually bless the customers as much <laughs> right. as half a mile service right, might right, at Chicken Express. Right. These are some hot takes. They are. Needless to say, out of all of the chicken places in the DFW area. World? I would say the world. In the world. Universe? In the universe. Chicken Express is the best. Preach, brother. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Cooper McCrumpleson. It's Cooper McCullough. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Anyway, great episode. Almost as good as Chick-fil-A's nugget meal oh i almost said sandwich good. but i mean i don't know if it's that i mean I don't <laughs> you know i'll let the viewer Easily. the listener yeah. let decide. the king rain on his throne you know but I, mean? I also might say it might be my new favorite i thought you might connected with her through linkedin this is miss ann cho 
She is the CEO of AT&T Business here in Dallas, Texas. They have a new center downtown. Did you see? Have you you've been down there? Yeah. Are you talking about the stadium? Well, you no. Know, okay. Downtown. You know when we're it's across from the Adolphus yeah, Hotel. Yeah, they're actually they have a really and also Amazing. I'd like to say I'm a user of their you services. You are. I'm an AT&T. I did not. I will say this. I don't know if she's going to listen, but she said to me, she's like, first of all, like if you're a user, thank you so much. Like she was just saying that, mm-hmm. and I didn't have the heart to tell her I'm on Verizon. Well, she was talking to me. Yeah, she was. She knew I would. She, <laughs> she knew was I talking to you. But with everything going on, especially this summer with race relations and cultural uh, diversity and trainings of those sorts going yeah. on in the, the public workplace, she brought in a, a unique perspective about the word belonging. Mm. So that's really what we talk about is because I was reading her LinkedIn bio and one of the thing or the two parts she put in there, she didn't say she was a CEO. She said she was a servant leader and a transformational leader. Mm. So I wanted to talk to her about that and what transformational leaders do to separate themselves from just your regular middle manager at a at a workplace but she says the word belonging mm-hmm. and she has an analogy that I'm going to let her tell but it's so important to create a culture of belonging where people feel known accepted and they're able to freely express their ideas but also being able to know that uh if I come back at you with a counter to your idea, it is not because I don't like you or don't think your idea is bad. I want what's best for the company. Yeah. And the culture of belonging really does that. And she right. does it so well at AT&T. And that's why you see so many good things come out of AT&T. Like my cell service. Like your cell service, yeah. 5G, if right. you will. I mean, hey, and so. 12. And, I mean, yeah, you just got it. How yeah. is it? It's uh, it's amazing. Good for you. It's amazing. Good yeah. for you. But um, yeah, so Anne, she was incredible to talk to. She was so generous with her time, but I will say she is a woman on a mission. Oh. She was in and out. She is, she gets hey. stuff done. That's and she good. had a whole like army of people emailing me and it was kind of awesome. Yeah. It's a good thing we had Monica to help filter. Yes, that. Monica. Shout out Monica. Thank you so much for all your help with getting this interview done. Yeah. So with that, without any further ado, here she is, Miss Anne Cho. Well, Ann, thank you so much for being here and doing this, taking time out of your busy set schedule to let me ask you some questions. Let me just start by letting you introduce yourself. Kind of who are you? Uh, what do you do? And kind of what's your story? How did you get to where you are? Yeah, thanks so much, Zach. And I really appreciate you and the uh, DBU community listening in here. So my name is Ann Chow, and I am the CEO of at Business. Uh, it's a unit um, within at and We are responsible for serving all business customers with communication solutions and services. We're the size of a Fortune 100 company. We do over $35 billion in revenue, and we serve clients such as small business customers, universities, uh, very large global multinationals, as well as uh, the public sector, including federal government, as well as state and local municipalities. Um, A little bit about my story uh, in terms of how I got to where I am. I uh, live in Dallas today, but didn't Mm. always uh, live live here in the the Dallas community. It's a fantastic community. Um, I am a second-generation American. My parents immigrated to the United States back in the 60s. I was born here and um, was raised uh, in a very traditional immigrant upbringing. Uh, the importance of education was always something that was um, that was reinforced uh, by my parents. And um, as a result, I went to uh, college and I um, uh, studied both uh, electrical engineering and business. And so I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in electrical engineering and an also an MBA as well. I did all of my schooling at Cornell University, which is in upstate New York. And just this year, Zach, in the uh, infamous year of 2020, right. I celebrated my 30-year service anniversary with AT&T. Well, congratulations. And I had, 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been working here at this great company um, longer than perhaps many, many of our listeners have been alive. It's kind of humbling to think about it that way. Uh, well, we I, can look at it as that's why we're yeah. coming to you. You have a lot of experience. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. So I'm on my 17th job, and this, I'm on my 26th boss, and it has been a fantastic career and a fantastic uh, ride thus far. So that is the super quick summary of uh, what uh, what brings me here to be with you all here today. Well, that's amazing. And, and it's a pretty wide ranging story and you've covered a lot of ground in those 30 years, but we want to really hone in on something uh, very specific today. But before we get there, kind of what is the difference between AT&T business? Like what is, what is your sector and how does it, where does it fit into the AT&T as company as a whole? Yeah, so AT&T business is an integral part of, um, of AT&T as a whole. You know, AT&T, the, um, the company, right, at the corporate level, we serve multiple different markets, right? We serve the consumer marketplace, um, you know, which are, you know, families and individuals um, and whatnot. Uh, we serve business customers, which is my unit, um, and I'm, I'm happy to go into that a, a little bit more detail if it's helpful. We also have responsibility for um, entertainment and media, and so Warner Media, things like Warner Brothers Studios, CNN, Turner, uh, these are HBO, these are all part, you know, parts of our Warner Media unit which are part of AT&T as a whole. And so that's how AT&T business fits in. Uh, you can think of it this way. Um, AT&T business is, um, as I shared with you at the opener, the size of a Fortune 100 company. It's actually bigger than Warner Media. Mm. Um, our scope is global in nature. And so the size of my organization is over 30,000 people all around the world. We provide our services and our solutions um, in over 200 countries and territories all around the world. So if you think about the basic, uh, like even what we're talking on today, right? right. As we have learned in the pandemic, you know, the power of collaboration tools and the importance of video, uh, you know, the importance of social media, um, you know, th this is all, uh, these are all applications right. um, and solutions that require connectivity and require networks. Right? And that's the business that we're in is we enable business customers uh, to run their businesses, to uh, transform their businesses by the technology and the solutions that we provide. And those solutions can be um, kind of wireline based on fiber or they can be wireless services like your mobile smartphone or your tablet, as an example. Right? Mm. So lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah. You know, they don't even have to involve people, by the way. You know, so think of um, connected car. Many of you who have cars, right, and um, you know, have capability in your cars, uh, you know, for uh, you know, wireless connection and services, right? That's a, that's a part of our business and part of my business as we serve businesses of all shapes and sizes across all industries. Right. And, and with that, you, you cover a, a wide array of topics, of businesses, of people and, and of cultures. And, and in that, you lead a team that is so vast and so wide and is encompassing of a, a huge amount of people from all over the world from a huge array of, of companies. And if you look at the kind of the, the conversation that our country is headed to, especially in the business realm and higher education realm, is this this conversation of diversity, especially in the workplace and especially in, in schools and student areas. So I want to ask you, I, I listened to an interview you did with Sent Marshall, the CEO of the Mavericks, and, and y'all explained something that was so fascinating to me. I want you to give it to our listeners as well as the difference between diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Three 
different words that can seem that can kind of go together, but there's three really big differences to those. Yeah, 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 yeah. The best analogy that uh, people like uh, Cynthia and I use, and she's a dear friend, thanks for calling her out there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of the folks in the audience here and our listeners, listeners are Mavericks fans. Right. Uh, but here's, here's, the, here's the best analogy that I can use. So diversity is being asked to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. But belonging is all about bringing your own dance uh, to the party and teaching others um, your own dance and also learning other people's dances. So let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Right? Okay. So why, why is diversity important and why is this topic that is now being called, coined largely DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That I would say is kind of a new moniker for uh, this whole topic is that it's not just the right thing to do um, because it's societally um, the right thing to do or socially from a justice perspective is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do from a business perspective, right? Mm. There are all sorts of data out there that shows that organizations and teams um, who are more diverse actually get better results, right? right? You know, in a, um, you know, in a recent McKinsey study, I'll just share, well, you know, a couple of quick factoids, Gen- the more gender diverse companies, um, you know, do 15% better financially than companies who are not gender diverse. And in companies who have greater ethnic and racial diversity have uh, 35% greater financial returns. You know, and if you take a step back and you think about it, Zach, you know, uh, the more difference perspectives we have, and if you you know, if you reflect on, you know, whether you were in a class or whether you're working on a project, uh, presuming that you can collaborate and communicate well with each other, the more different points of view there are, right. the better innovation is, right? Because you're bringing new perspectives to the table, um, new ideas, different ways of thinking. And so, um, you know, it is the right thing to do from a business perspective. I would also share that, you know, demographically here in this great country, um, we have had, um, you know, diversity at our roots for um, really since our inception, you know, and if you think about the origin stories that each of us have about our families and how we each got to where we are, you know, unless you are part of that less than 2% of our population that is American Indian or Native American, you have immigrants in your story, right? You have... You, you all, you know, we all came from somewhere else to get to this place, you know, in this country whose hallmark and our foundation um, has been built on um, our great diversity from all different perspectives. And, you know, some of the trends that uh, we all know that, um, you know, that, that are obvious are that, you know, America continues to evolve in its diversity, right? And so, uh, you know, a couple of... Um, things to share with you on this is, you know, women of color will become the majority of all women by, you know, 2050 or the year 2060, right? Mm. And so that markedly changes uh, the complexion of, uh, you know, the workplace, the complexion of a consumer customer base, you know? And so right. uh, that is just one, you know, one little uh, stat and fact about that. And certainly with every generation um, that goes by, every generation gets more and more diverse, right? So I'm a Gen Xer. Um, you know, the majority of the workforce will be Gen Y by the year 2025. Right. You know, I've got two kids, college-age kids um, that are Gen Zers, right? And then there's Gen Alpha, right? And so mm-hmm. all of these reasons really compel you to embrace 
diversity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, and one of the things that you reference about that that conversation I do with Sint, you know, we can't just stop at inclusion. Why? Because inclusion implies that one person is deciding to include somebody else, right? right? And in actuality, what we want is to live in a place, live in a world, live in a town, be on a team, work for a company where everybody belongs, mm. right? And it's not up to one person to decide, yeah, I'm gonna include you, right? In, having a culture of inclusion is important, but you can't stop there, right? right. You can't stop there. And so uh, that's a little bit of the, of the nuance, but an important one, uh, if we're really truly going to evolve um, you know, our society, our economy, um, you know, to a place of you know true equity, where everybody belongs and has a you know fair and equal shot at prosperity. Right. I, I love that. And I, you bring up a good point, too, about generational diversity as well, because there's race and there's culture, there's age and generation, and there's also gender. So there's so many different types of diversity that create differing ideas that whenever they're all milled together, they, they lead towards progress and they lead towards the best idea. So speaking to right. leaders now, future leaders, leaders now who are listening, who are going to lead these teams that are, are incredibly diverse, what advice would you give to them? What would you say to them of of contracting all of these ideas, how do great leaders lead diverse teams? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Zach, I'm going to give a little plug for uh, a book that I co-authored. I love that it. It's coming out um, on, on November 10th, and it is called The Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. Um, how to reframe bias, cultivate connection, and build high-performing teams. Um, and uh, it's, by the way, available on Amazon for pre-order. But I believe that one of the biggest issues that we have as humans and as a society is this notion of bias, right? We all have biases, whether they're conscious biases or their unconscious biases. So, and they are not just simply about race or about gender or about age or otherwise. Right? Right. They can be about anything. So, mm. I'll, you know, I'll give you a silly one that I used. Uh, you know, just as an example, right? When I was growing up, we only the only time we ate eggs were for breakfast. Okay. Yeah. So, by the time I got to college, I believed I had a bias that you only eat eggs for breakfast. Well, pull out a couple of all nighters, going out with my friends, right? learned that at 1 a.m., an omelet is actually pretty good. Yeah, and almost so, better. All right, so I, right, it's actually even better than eggs for breakfast, <laughs> right? So, yeah, right, so my bias about eggs was a conscious bias, but until I was, you know, kind of reframed that bias, I, you know, I didn't have an opportunity to enjoy them, right, outside of the morning, right? So we all have biases. To be human is to have biases. The big difference, in my opinion, around being a breakthrough transformational leader and a leader who embraces diversity is you have the courage and the compassion and the conviction to to work to surface your own unconscious biases mm. right and work through them and that you create an environment where you can bring these biases to life um, not only for yourself, but also for your teams. But I would say that it is so important to start with yourself. And when you realize that you don't have all the answers, and yes, each of us has biases. You know, we have biases that were shaped by how we were raised, what media we watch, right? Who our friends are, where we grew up, right? Um, and that is totally normal, right? But what is 
Um, what is holding us back, I so believe this, is that we have not figured out a way to constructively address our unconscious biases so that we can really unleash the full power of each of us as individuals, as leaders, as well as the full power of any team. And that is really the purpose of this book is to explore this topic with some really practical exercises in them. Um, And and I think, you know, for those who have really a lot of interest in this topic and want to aspire uh, to be a leader of diverse teams and also improve, uh, you know, kind of your own learning, uh, I'd I'd, uh, highly uh, highly recommend it. It's a great place to start and it's uh, quite practical. Uh, in its approach. Right. I think, I mean, everyone should go get this book, especially now the way our, our culture, our society is going, we're becoming more aware. And I think it's a good thing as we move forward, especially in cultures of teams and in cultures of businesses. But something you mentioned in there is talking about the environment of a team or an environment or a culture of an organization. And so obviously leaders being at the top, having to deal with their own conscious or subconscious biases and removing them to getting them out of the way so the team can perform and the team can survive and run forward. But what does a leader need to do to create an environment where everyone's ideas feel safe, but we're also safe to disagree, but everyone feels like they belong and everyone's diversity and everyone's culture is brought to the table and is rejoiced in and and loved. So how do leaders create this environment that is, is safe? Yeah, yeah, it is a fantastic question. Um, you know, and I would say that, um, you know, I, I fancy myself a little bit of a culture expert. You know, when I think about when I think about all the teams that I've led throughout my career and then, you know, kind of the stuff that I participate in, even outside of my day job, you know, culture is really all about people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and culture, you know, represents those, you know, unwritten rules. They represent how an organization feels, how it operates, right? Um, and how it engages uh, with, e- with each other, right? I am a person who believes that culture trumps everything. So you can have a great strategy, you can have a great plan, you can even have amazing individuals on your team, but if you don't have a healthy, thriving, trust-based culture, you will never be truly, truly successful. And so what leaders can do, right? Remember that culture is all about the people. So if your aspiration is to establish a culture that is, um, you know, joyful, that is filled with belonging, that, um, that is transparent, that is filled with respect. You've got to start with yourself and you've got to base it on trust, right? If your people um, don't trust you and they don't trust what you say or what you say is different than what you do, you're never going to be able to build a healthy culture. So in my mind, it all begins with this acknowledgement that people are everything and as a result of that, you have to uh, you have to build uh, a culture on the basis of trust. Um, in order to do that, you've got to have a, you know, a degree of transparency, a degree of authenticity. Because look, people are not stupid, generally speaking. Right. right? I mean, they'll generally yes. pulling the wool over their eyes, right? And if you're not being authentically true to yourself, if you say, "Hey, yeah, it's okay to fail," but then the next time somebody does something that is deemed a quote-unquote failure, you know they get ostracized, right? Then, well, you're not welcome to talk, right? And then it's going to create an environment where people are not willing to take risks or fail, you know? So, so it all is in the tone that you said, how you communicate, right? How you engage with others uh, and how, you know, how strongly and solidly you build relationships. You know, I would tell you that in this time of COVID, 
Jack, that right. uh, you know, leading in a time of crisis is you know an incredible uh, both art and science. You know, uh, you know, I um, I'm a big believer in very active, purposeful communication, and even for me during COVID, I have amped up my communication to my organization because we are all in many ways, craving a degree of social connection right. that we lack because we can't physically be together, right? And so since the, since the pandemic started here in the U.S. and we got pulled back to start working heavily remotely for those of us that could, you know, I have been on this weekly rhythm with my team to just touch base with them, you know, in a weekly broadcast, um, you know, email every week, right, without fail, just so that they can see kind of stuff that's top of mind for me, um, you know, and so it's really important to create a two-way multi-dialogue and to be incredibly visible and also very vulnerable, right? right? Nobody's perfect here, and I think that if you as a leader can, you know, show your vulnerabilities, it just creates that safe place, as you said, Zach, that people can really um, feel like they can bring their whole self uh, to the environment and really work to be their best, and they will know that you have their back. Totally. I, I totally agree. And something I want to ask you more on or press in more on is that connection piece, especially right now. Yeah. We're in a crazy time where everyone's, I mean, conferencing like we are right now over the phone because we're distancing, we're staying away from people. But to create a, a culture of belonging, there has to be that connection. So in, yeah. a, in a normal time, how do leaders lead in this connection? How do they bring people together? But especially now, what are some ways that leaders can practically build this connection between team members to build a culture of belonging? Yeah, man, it is just, um, you know, it's, uh, it's communication, it's collaboration, it's compassion. Mm. You know, um, you know I, I think one of the things that I, that I don't even notice for myself is, you know, about, I would say probably about 100 days um, into the pandemic, after we got past the major crisis mode, I, I know I was suffering major burnout, right? Like major burnout from these video calls that were day and night. You know, I lost track of what day of the week it was, right. working around the clock, you know, into the weekend, you know, working to serve customers. And I was just totally fried, right? And, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm truly blessed. I live in an environment where, you know, I'm able to have my own office and my own room, right? And right. my kids are both at college, so I wasn't, you know, distracted heavily by, you know, little kids running around or whatnot. And I think that, um, you know, what, what I realized that during times of crisis in particular, because what, what happens in a crisis, people are fearful, they are, uh, they are worried about the uncertainty, um, they may be less trusting of what's happening, right, and they're worried, right, and they are faced with, uh, especially in these crisis, right, um, you know, they're right. faced with an immense amount of pressure that wouldn't necessarily be there in, you know, in quote-unquote normal times. And I believe that, you know, empathy, um, and, you know, we've all heard this uh, thing is, you know, in order to be a successful leader, you can't just have IQ, you need to have EQ, right, Mm -hmm. which is the emotional quotient. You've got to be able to work to empathize with people, and if you are having trouble with that, you you, got to just take it one person at a time, you know? I mean, just check in to see how people are doing. and. You know, what's beautiful about today here in the 21st century is the technology we have in front of us, right? Mm. You know, so I've worked to amp up my social presence. You know, you, you can use text, you can use all the different means, you know, you can Snapchat people, I and mean, you can do whatever it is that you need to, to just add that extra human touch, you know, which goes far beyond, let me go from meeting to meeting, from task to task to project to project, and let me really work hard to reinstill humanity 
into the workplace. You know, one, Zach, one of the things that I, that I have actually loved about the current environment is we're, we're almost now on equal playing fields, right? Because right. On, on any given work video call, you know, somebody's kid will be screaming. You know, my dog has been known to bark at the worst times. Right. right. And some, right, and we're, we're, not, we're not all suited up, right? We're not all wearing, you know, stuffy business attire, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. We have all been humanized and equalized because uh, because of this, right? And I right. think that is something that actually is incredibly beautiful. That is something we need to continue as we move on to whatever that next normal um, is going to be. Right? Right. We have learned the hard way, the importance of social connection, and the importance of just being human with each other. Right? And I... I believe this was a wake-up call on multiple different fronts. And, um, you know, Zach, I love the fact that you at the front end of this, you know, are, are talking about the fact that this is a this is an incredible, important moment and inflection point um, for our country because we are not only facing one crisis, we're facing three, right? The global right. pandemic, an economic recession, and a systemic um, uh, racism and social injustice, right? These are three major crises right. happening to us all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to learn to adapt. And thanks to the people at AT and T working around the clock, we're more connected than ever, and that we can connect with people even when we're not allowed to go in the office because people need that connection. And it's up to us as leaders to to foster that and create environments where that is welcomed and people feel like they belong. And we can keep moving forward as a society, as companies, and as a country. We can move forward and get past this. Um, but and I, I want to ask you one more question as we have time uh, that we love asking all of our leaders: What advice? would you give to your 20 year old self looking back if you were to look at 20 year old Anne, and what would you tell her okay all right well Zach, this question is like super easy for me because i have two daughters <laughs> they're 18 and 21 right come on so this is the advice that i give them you get to do this all the time yeah <laughs> yeah right 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 they get a little dose of me you know uh via text and uh when, when they're home on breaks uh, over the dinner table but all right they're, they're really they're really three things that i would um that I would say to my 20 year old self. Um, And the first one is um, learning, the importance of learning. Always try new things. Put yourself out there. Um, meet new people. Put, put yourself in uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not talking unsafe, right? I'm just talking uncomfortable situations. If you find yourself in a place of discomfort because you don't know something or it's unfamiliar, don't shy away from it. Right. Lean into it because what that means is that you're learning and you're growing, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that I've told my uh, you know, daughters over and over again throughout their whole lives is, if you don't try something, how will you know if you love it? Mm-hmm. How will you know if you're good at it? How will you know if you're not good at it, right? right? And so life is all about this continuous learning. Um, you know, education is one of the foundational uh, you know, uh, values that, uh, that my parents instilled in me. And if you approach your life and your career as a lifelong learning journey, um, wonderful, wonderful things will, uh, will happen for you. Okay, right. so that's the first thing. Okay. The second one is, um, it's a little, it's a little kitschy, but, um, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to use it because it really speaks to uh, be authentically yourself. And that is be mm. real, be true, be you. Mm. You know, when you think about your future, you know, one of the things that I find when I mentor, especially younger 
professionals or, or people who are in college or even people who are in high school is this desire to have this incredible plan, right? Like, hey, in five years, I want to be here. In 10 years, I want to be here, right? In three years, I want to be here. Right. I am all for goals and I am all for dreams, but realize that so much of who you are and what you will become is because of the journey that you are on and that you are taking. Mm. So I don't believe that life, it's like that, uh, it's uh, like that adage, which is life is not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. Mm. And if you, when you realize that you are your best competitive advantage and that your set of experiences are what you're going after to create yourself and determine what that unique value that you can bring to the table that is when that magic happens, yeah. right? That's when the magic happens. And so that's the second thing. And in fact, the, the last, the last thing that I would share is, um, uh, actually uh, one of my life, life mantras, and that is that life is all about relationships. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, be sure to foster and, you know, seek and foster meaningful ones. Um, you know, every business, every facet of our lives are all about people. You know, and, right. um, you know, uh, with every person, you have an opportunity to build a meaningful relationship. Now, this does not mean that you're going to, by the way. Right. You know, it's not like there aren't actually jerks out there. They're going to be, right? You're not going to see eye to eye with everyone. But when you keep in mind that your relationships, right, um, and also your network, right, is part of that, um, are the foundation for your life and your career, um, it, you'll, you'll take a different lens on this, right? Which is, right. you'll be much more open-minded to meeting new people. You'll also be very mindful of um, not burning bridges, right? Hmm. Uh, of, uh, you know, seeking first to understand and then be understood, right? That's one of Covey's uh, seven habits. Right. Highly effective um, people, people, right? Um, and so, um, remember that it's all about people and it's all about relationships. No matter what career path you choose, no matter um, you know what hobby you desire, um, life you know life is about uh, relationships, and mm. that would be um, the third uh, thing, Zach, that I would share with my twenty-year-old self. I love that. There's a lot to learn from in there, and and thank you so much for your time. We've learned so much. I hope we can take it and we can uh, we can create cultures of belonging in our circles. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. My pleasure.